Hello and welcome into the Mavs Draft Podcast. Uh, I'm Jared. As always, I have Mr. Mavs Draft, Richard Stamen. What's going on, Richard? Not too much. Very excited for this episode. It's a historic day in the Mavs Draft uh, world. <laughs> it is. For the first time, we have a guest. And that guest today is Derek Murray, the director of scouting over at uh, Babcock Hoops. So, Derek, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. And again, here and I was the first guest, uh, quite an honor and really grateful. So I always enjoy reading y'all stuff, watching y'all stuff. So I appreciate it a lot. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, should be a fun episode today. We're talking about a couple of different guards. Uh, first one would be uh, Tyrese Halliburton, sophomore out of Iowa State. Uh, this past season was cut a little short with a wrist injury, but in 22 games, in almost 37 minutes a game, shot 50% from the field, 42% from three on five and a half attempts per game, and 82% from the line, 15 points, six rebounds, six and a half assists, two and a half steals, and just under a block a game. So, um, you know, just we'll, we'll dive right on into it. Um, you know, where where do you guys kind of have Halliburton ranked in your, or, or you know, how, how do you have him graded? So Halliburton is one of those guys where depending on who you talk to, they value him very differently. And it's not because he's necessarily polarizing. You know what you're going to get with him. It's how much will his lack of physical strength and lack of creation ability getting to the lane and rim affect his value at the NBA level. As far as your feel for the game, basketball IQ, understanding of you know time and placement on the floor at all times, his passing, his activity – you pretty much know what you're going to get. Um, we have him. We have him at the back end of the lottery right now. Some people have him in the top five. Uh, right now, we have him to Phoenix at ten, and I feel personally that that would be an ideal fit for him because you don't want him to be the creator or the primary initiator on your team, but as a connecting piece, he can make your best players better. So I see a fit next to Devin Booker, and just absolutely love that. Yeah, I've got him at 14 as well, uh, right in that back end of the lottery, like he said. Um, I mean, for him, it's even despite the lack of strength, I would say, and, you know, he really has a lot to grow his physical frame. Uh, like, he's still a pest on defense, and he can still – he still doesn't really have, like, an issue with weakness, I would say, uh, so much as a guy that you would expect with that weight to have. Yeah, and I would agree with you guys. I, I have him at 10 right now, uh, but I'm still kind of building out my board. Um, so, you know, you, you talked about how he's kind of, you know, you don't want him to be the, the primary initiator per se, um, but, but probably still a, a league guard. But do you think he's got some some one two versatility or do you see him more as just, a, you know, he's a one and that's that? I do see some one-two versatility, um, especially, again, with somebody else who has versatility. I don't think you want to run an offense with him as just the one at all times or just the two at all times. I think him with another combo guard is the ideal fit, which is why I like him next to Booker. You know, he has trouble getting to the lane. He's a good finisher, and the touch is there around the rim. It's just that when he attacks, he can get bounced off his line really, really easy. So I just don't want him attacking as the lead creator, but he can handle pick and roll responsibilities. He's an excellent passer out of pick and roll. So in that aspect, I think he can be your point guard for minutes. And I don't really see an issue with that or much to be concerned with. And as a catch and shoot spot up shooter, I believe he can be fine off the ball as well. Um, if you look at, let's see, catch and shoot 98th percentile last year. Uh, hit 30, hit 35 of 71 shots, according to Synergy, which is just absurd. So I, I think he can play off the ball or on the ball, whichever one you want, which makes him extremely valuable. That That's crazy. I had no idea he was in the 98th percentile. Like, I know his spot up shooting last year was good because he was, I think he's the only player in the draft to shoot 40% from three and 75% or more, or 70% even from inside the paint uh, at the rim. So that's insanely impressive. I know shooting off the dribble is a little bit of a concern, though, or I'd say a lot of a concern. I think that's a big issue as to why when you said, you know, depending on who you ask, I think that shooting off the dribble is the biggest difference maker. Like, would you agree with that? Dribble jumpers per synergy, 35th percentile. Yeah. And I just 
I'm not necessarily sure what to kind of blame that on or, you know, what the reason is for that. I think physicality has a lot and his shot, like his mechanics, they're just kind of funky. It's yeah. not, it's not super fast. So off the dribble, you have, if you're going to be an excellent or an elite off the dribble shooter, like your motion is going to have to be really quick, really smooth. And you're going to have to be able to get the ball from the ground above your head into your motion, like really, really quickly. So that's where I worry about if the NCAA length of defenders bothered him, I really worry about NBA defenders length bothering him off the dribble. And again, because I see his shooting value being off the catch or, you know, it wasn't like a huge movement shooter, but because he showed flashes of, you know, running around screens, pin downs, I think somebody else next to him who can create will increase his spot up value as well. Yeah, I completely agree, which goes again, like you said, the combo guard, having another guard who can make plays around him, uh, which, again, Phoenix is so perfect for that. Uh, like that is probably the landing spot. Uh, and I, I noticed something like on the off the dribble shots, like so many air balls off of it. And it's just it's really not clean. I remember watching him when he was at TCU, which was still to this day, probably the greatest game I've ever seen from a prospect. Uh, that was that was a like, great game. Yeah, that he had a 20, 10 and 10, which I I mean, I looked at that 20, 10 and 10 games just don't come unless you're the elite of elite in the country. Um, and I mean, yeah, the only thing that I saw as a major concern, obviously, every time, I mean, everybody's going to say it, the shot is just it is the weirdest shot. Like it doesn't mean it can't work, but it has so much room to go, to grow. I'm yeah. really I'm really curious to see at the NBA level if if whoever drafts him goes with the if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach. Yeah. <laughs> or if they say, hey, let's try to re- rework this a little bit. Because you can't argue with the numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where I, I'm really I, I'm really interested to see uh, what, what the organization, wherever he ends up, does with his mechanics. And, and it is interesting. I have here in my notes that, you know, narrow base, very little elevation, low release, you know, kind of brings the ball to the side when he's kind of loading up to shoot. And, and it is a super awkward shot, but like you guys are saying, it works for him, you know, maybe not off the dribble, but, you know, I, I think he'll find other ways to score and, and being that good in catch and shoot situations obviously has a ton of value, um, you know, especially with NBA spacing and, you know, especially as, you know, as a guest of the next level, taking the ball out of his hands a little bit more um, and, and, reducing his his level of responsibility um but you know you, you talked a little bit about the finishing earlier around the rim and i think strength might be a problem but but the the craftiness around the rim and and the length and his ability to utilize his length around the rim um you know lent to him being a pretty decent finisher is that something that you guys see translating to the next level or do you think he's going to have trouble with nba length around the rim I think the length around the rim will be fine because he is long enough and, again, crafty enough that I think he'll be able to finish just fine. It's whether or not he can get there. So I'm not concerned with what happens if he gets there. It's if he can get there. And you look at some of these guys who can take contact really, really well. Your Tyrese Maxey's, your Mason Jones. I mean, they get in there and free throw rates high and they can finish anyway. And Halliburton's just the opposite of that. So I don't don't worry about the length. I worry about how he's going to take that contact once he gets inside or if perimeter contact just straight up stops him from getting inside. That's my concern. Yeah, that's perfectly said. His separation ability is just it's not really what you expect from a lottery tier point guard. It's it's a little bit confusing how all that works, like all that blend. Because uh, he does not a traditional point guard, really, in any sense of the way, the word. I mean, the passing and, you know, the defense, I guess, can be. But in every other way, he's just a total, I don't know really what the word is, I guess, enigma almost in that regard as to how everything blended and came into be, you know. Right. And with the speed, I don't even know who he'll be able to get around. Yeah. So to even hope to initiate contact with a big at the rim, you have to beat your man already. I don't know. I don't know how often that's going to happen. Cause when you look at guys, you know, you're watching Hayes or Lewis or some of these other guards, it's like, okay, or either Hampton, especially. Yep. I see a world where they get past the defender and then you take into account all the athleticism at the rim. Halliburton, it's, I'm not sure if they can beat guy number one off the dribble. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, go ahead, Richard. 
I was going to say, I mean, I remember seeing him, the TCU game again, uh, where the way he got to the rim so much was he weaved. Like, he didn't go, like, in a straight line to the rim. He kind of had to run around, like, you know, if he was on the left side, he had to go almost to the corner and then back around to the rim, and it's that's not going to work, you know? Yeah, and I was going to say, he, he's never going to be a guy who's going to blow by defenders, but but he is crafty, um, and, and that's probably going to have to be the way that he's, you know, more of a... I'm going to kind of knife my way into the lane as opposed to I'm just going to go past my man. Um, and, and like you guys were saying, the strength could be a problem for him there as well. Um, but, you know, one other thing that I love about Halliburton um, and, you know, one of the main reasons he's going to be a lottery selection and why some people like him so much is, is that, that IQ and that passing ability. So do you guys want to start, you know, kind of getting into what he can do as a facilitator? So as a passer, like he's so smart, like excellent feel, um, needs to develop using his ability to pass to create buckets for himself. Because right now that's, again, it's not non-existent. It's just not as prevalent as we would like it to be. But as a passer, again, like he, the craft is there, excellent feel, excellent IQ, especially out of the pick and roll. I think he's very reliable as a pick and roll passer, um, can find the open man, either hand, uh, live dribble. Sometimes he'll come to a complete stop before making his pass, which there are some other guards who do that way more than him, so I'm not necessarily like worried about it. But he's not a live dribble passer all the time, um, but doesn't often seem hesitant. Like He sees the lane, sees the read, and makes them correctly. So he's just going to be a low-mistake guy he's not going to be the flashiest you're not going to see a bunch of highlights of Tyrese Halliburton passes and and ones but you're also not going to leave the game thinking oh man Halliburton had five turnovers again like we can't have this you know he's not going to be that person to the fans or coaches either so I think he's just going to be you know high IQ high feel just a reliable passer yeah and and again with with how with how much the ball was in his hands the fact that he had less than three turnovers per game in, you know, playing 37 minutes a night, um, you know, again, speaks to that, that ability to take care of the, of the basketball. Yeah. I mean, he played on a team where everybody knew, you know, the offense went through Tyrese Halliburton. Like it was, they knew what was coming. Like if Halliburton didn't touch the ball in a possession, it was probably a breakaway. Like that's, that's the only way, that uh that Halliburton wouldn't have touched the ball in those possessions and like my only concern for him with uh with the IQ or feel which and this is just a general maturity thing I think you can say it's about any underclassman uh in the country but he does go for the home run play sometimes a little bit too much uh at the wrong times I would say is when he would do it but like you said though it's not going to happen more than maybe once a game like it's it's almost nitpicking but yeah he does force some passes quite a bit like you said going for the home run or you know, trying to hit a big on their way to the rim when they're there's based on the shot clock, there's no need to try to force a pass right now. That's that's probably the only time, um, only time that you kind of scratch your head and think, Tyrese, come on, man, like what are you doing? But again, I would rather somebody see a tight window and trust themselves to try to make it than completely miss the window or pick up their dribble and then be too slow to even have an opportunity. So even some of the turnovers when they're aggressive or force passes, I can look past that because the rest of the game, it, it's so evident that he's a high IQ guy that at the next level, I'm not worried about them too much. Yeah, to- totally agree. Um, I want to, I want to revisit um, the, some about scoring a a little bit here, but, you know, kind of as it relates to the ball handling, you know, we kind of talked about doesn't have that super quick first step and the strength, but do you, do you think he has a good enough handle to get to where he needs to be on the floor to be a, you know, even a, a third or fourth score on a, on a championship caliber team? Third score on a championship team, I really don't know. I'm not confident enough right now to put that kind of responsibility on him. But his handle, it's good. It's adequate. It's it's not a concern. But I'm also not going to say that it's like a huge strength. Um, It's efficient. Again, doesn't turn the ball over too much. He's going to have to beat you with change of speeds and craftiness. You know, the way he, like 
Richard said earlier, the way he can kind of snake around people on different parts of the floor. That's how I think he can beat you. And in that, on that uh, type of play, his handles are good. The ball can get a little bit high on him. So he, he doesn't keep the ball low all the time, which I think against certain NBA defenders, it can get poked away and there will be some growing pains as far as steals and turnovers there. But I'm not, you know, I'm not very concerned about it, um, but I wouldn't call his handle great, but it is adequate. It's efficient. And I think, quote, if you want to call it just fine for this point in his career, but to be a lead guard at the next level, it'll, it'll certainly have to tighten up a little bit. Yeah, completely agreed. Something that like I don't even really have a note one way or the other. It's just like it's textbook. It's just it's there, you know, and it's almost a swing factor in that way, though. Like, I mean, if it comes really good and he develops, you know, in the next two years, just way better than he has been in the last two. Uh, that's a huge step, and that probably makes him more valuable than wherever he gets drafted at, in my opinion. So Halliburton, be, being in Oklahoma City, I've enjoyed watching Chris Paul, who he doesn't have the ability to get around everybody anymore. But what he does is he'll snake you out of the pick and roll, and then he'll get the, he'll get his man on his hip or behind him just immediately. So then he doesn't have to beat you with speed. He beats you with the craftiness and where he can get the defender on his back. And at that point, his handles get really, really tight. That is what I would love to see Halliburton do. Snake a pick and roll and then boom, seal that defender right there on his hip. At that point, he's got the touch in the paint too. If it's one-on-one with a big, I think he's got the floater. He can go in and finish um, decent enough passer to, you know, hit a guy for, hit a big for a lob if he needs to. So if it'll tighten up enough to where like that Chris Paul move around the free throw line and the elbows, if he can get somebody on his back, that I think would just do Halliburton wonders for his ability to to score out of it. Yeah, that plays to his strength so much too. I mean, the finishing around the rim comes yeah. even stronger that way. Absolutely. So, any anything else offensively with Halliburton that you guys want to add before we kind of look at him defensively? Not really. Only thing that comes to mind is again, I'm really curious to just see if what what a team does with the mechanics. Because they're sure. they're fun- they're funky, but it works. So I think, and I think you know, teams run their developmental systems differently than each other. I think some teams are going into this saying, "Hey, if we get Halliburton, we're not touching it." Some teams are coming into this. If we get Halliburton, we're going to completely rework it. So that's where I think um, fit and and organizational kind of methodology is going to be huge for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so so let's look at him on the other side of the ball. Um, I failed to mention it earlier, uh, but, you know, Halliburton, 6'5", 175 is what I have him at. I don't have a wingspan on him. Do, do either of you have a wingspan on Halliburton, projected wingspan maybe? I've heard mixed things. I've heard that he's, like, plus one, and I've also yeah. heard he's plus four, something like, like that. Six, so I don't know. It's like six seven. Last official reported one, 2019 Snikey Academy, six seven and a half, and six seven six seven and a half is the way that, we've been operating his wingspan as because I've been told that by a couple people. So six, seven is what I at least am comfortable assuming that it is without having measured myself. Okay. So, so plus two wingspan, not, not bad, not super long, but which is why I hate the SGA comparison, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, one, one thing that I think is gonna, is going to translate really well for him is, is, uh, the lateral mobility, and then I, I felt he was a little inconsistent as a defender. But I, again, I think as as he moves to the NBA and a lot of those offensive responsibilities are taken off his plate, I'm interested to see you know how good of a defender he could be at the next level. So on ball, especially in isolation, you know he was really inconsistent. Like you said, the mobility's there. The footwork is there, quick feet. He's light on his feet because he's honestly not carrying that much weight around. So I'd hope he'd be light on his feet. Um, but there's a problem with but the, not carrying much weight. Right. And the problem is he can get bumped off really, really easy. So that is where, you know, does he get to the NBA and all of a sudden he's able to put on weight and it's not an issue? At that point, you've got a great, great defender on your hands. Um, if, if the weight remains a constant thing and it's just his body and it's not going to work, then... I don't necessarily know what you have strictly as an on-ball defender. He bites on fakes. He bites on dribble moves. He'll bite on, um, you know, he'll, he'll try to block a lot of pump fakes and stuff. So for being a high feel, high IQ guy, there are moments of 
you know better. Like, you know, you knew not to do that and it still happened. So mm-hmm. on ball, that's an issue in my mind. Uh, off ball as a team defender, I really like him. High, high activity uses the length he does have really well to make great rotations. He's almost always in the right position. There's very few moments where you look at the, you look at the quarter, you're watching film and you think, Oh, like, why are you over there? You know, he's always in the right spot or at least tries to get to the right spot on time. And that's what I really, really like about him. You know, reaction time is good. Again, rotations, positioning. I think Halliburton does all of those little things really well. Yeah. And, and I mean, with the wave of uh, team defense just coming into play now, I mean, we see it more and more every year. I feel like with, you know, missing rotations hurts you more than just about anything else right now. And that in turnovers are the two worst things I feel like you can do right now in the NBA. Having a guy who won't miss his rotations is huge, and that's going to keep him on the floor. I also get easily annoyed with with guards who aren't willing to stunt or tag appropriately, and Halliburton is willing to do both. They're, I mean, just very underrated. Un, like it just goes without thanks a lot. A ball handler who's willing, or a defender on the wing who's willing to stunt and tag, because it, it can stop the opponent from getting buckets, but it's not going to show up in the box score. So. You're not necessarily going to get blamed if you don't do it unless someone with a basketball mind is really trying to dig into the tape and into the film and see what went wrong. But because he's willing to do that, he's willing to get in people's way, tag rollers. uh, I really appreciate that. And I think it's going to make a big difference at the next level for him. Yeah. And and I think what's really awesome to me is, you know, you, you watch the tape and you see those things. And then you can also, you know, refer back to the box score and say, you know, he averaged 3.2 combined steals and blocks a a game, which for a combo guard, those are incredibly impressive numbers. So, you know, you're you're seeing it on 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 both sides of that, you know, from the stat sheet, but also, you know, what you guys are talking about um, on film and, you know, the way he can he, he can utilize his length to get into passing lanes and and just be a disruptor uh, as a team defender, I think is huge for him. So um, some about his game that I also really appreciate. Um, and then one other thing that he'll add is, you know, he's, he's a pretty solid rebounder, um, you know, reads the ball well and, you know, a, a guard who can get it and go in transition. And, you know, again, with his, with his court vision kind of leading that break, um, you know, just a, another aspect to his game would be, you know, rebounding and then going in transition. Yeah, he gets strong. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. I was going to say he gets strong box outs too. I mean, even like kind of like you said, Derek, on the pick and rolls when he's tagging the rollers and stuff too, like once he's switched, uh, like for a guy his size, he gets decent box outs on on those switches. Yeah, I appreciate that he's just willing to because a lot of guards – aren't so the fact that he's willing to get in there and box out i really appreciate and it showed i mean 5.9 we'll call it six rebounds a game at the nba level i mean you're probably looking at three or four if bounces go his way but i'm not going to see his responsibility be to get many rebounds but as a six five guard who's willing to be in the right positioning all the time i can see a couple bounces going his way so i I won't call it a strength because i just don't think he'll have to do it much at the next level um, I think if he's one of the combo guards out, it's probably more, probably better for the team if he's leaking or already on the wing, ready to push it in transition. Um, a lot of NBA teams like to push the pace more than Iowa State did, so I can see that being his role more at the NBA level, but um, definitely not a liability at all on the boards. Yeah, yes. rebounding so random it's because like JJ Barea in 2015 against the Rockets in the playoffs, averaged five rebounds a game. So, like, it could literally be one night he gets eight rebounds, and the next he gets one. Like, it's, right. it's completely random for a guard. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. J.J. Bray is an elite <laughs> rebounder. Elite. Um, awesome. So, uh, you know, as far as, you know, best fits, obviously you brought up the Suns earlier. Uh, any other teams that, that you – you could see drafting him and saying, man, I, I really like that, that fit there. So Suns fit is my favorite. New Orleans at 13 makes a lot of sense to me. Boston at 14. 
I've heard a couple people discuss him there. I don't know how much I love it, but I don't hate it. If that, if that makes any sense, there's nothing <laughs> that makes me think that that wouldn't work. Um, I don't see a world where he falls to 14. So I not try not to think about that one too much. I think the most interesting fit to me would be Atlanta. And Atlanta makes sense in the sense that he could be a great compliment to Trey Young because of the off-ball shooting, off-ball scoring. You can let Young create. Also, Young, he, I think because of his shooting ability, he would be just fine off the ball. So Halliburton's ability to run the pick and roll in spurts or find you find the open teammates, I think him and Young could be really, really nice together. The activity of Halliburton's defense could help. I'm not going to say it's going to mask Trey as much as drafting maybe a Vassell or a Coro would, but I think it could help a little bit. And they already have enough wing defenders that – you know, adding Halliburton in there as a smart team defender, your defense only gets better. So Halliburton to Atlanta would also make sense. Six is, it's close to a stretch because of the concerns, but if they took him, I would completely and totally understand why. So I would I would watch for that one as well. Yeah, I like all this that you listed. Another one I would add, uh, like on the off chance that he gets this far, what do you think of the Orlando fit? Like I know you said Boston's probably... You know, that's probably too far, but what do you think of Orlando? Orlando, yeah, him him and Fultz would actually be really fascinating together. I don't know if if I'm development coaches, I'm thinking – Wow, really? You're gonna give me two guys with jump shots? I gotta fix. Like <laughs> that's a lot of work. like. Come on, man. Like just just let me work with one. So if I'm on the Magic bench, there's a part of me doing that. Um, if I'm the Magic, I would probably, if they're both there, I would probably take Kyra Lewis. Actually, I yeah. do have Kyra Lewis ranked as on a strict big board higher because of his speed and ability to to create and pass. Um, but the Magic would be interesting. It's Again, it, that almost more than any other pick plays into how much are we going to adjust the, the shot. Yeah, and that's that's spot on. And I had to ask because I'm wearing a magic shirt, uh, as as you can see, but nobody else can see. But yeah. I, <laughs> no, because when you said Boston, Boston, I always think of as a team that fixes jump shots. Like they've they've been so good at it that I'd almost love that because that's probably the best spot for him in that area. Um. So. So as far as player comparisons, you know, we already crapped all over the SGA comparisons. <laughs> so are there uh, are there any uh, players, uh, current or past, that you would kind of like in his game too? Honestly, not really. He's such an anomaly because <laughs> you just don't know what role he's going to play because he's he, you're not going to put him in a corner as a one. You're not going to back him into a corner as just a two. Um, I don't have a great – I'm not a huge comp guy anyway, so I tend to try to stay away from them. But you, if you want to look for a comp, look at anybody who is an elite connecting piece. Like what players make their best players better? What teammates make the already present scorers on their team better scorers? And if you can name one of those for me, I'm fine with that being a comparison. The SGA one does bother me because SGA has got like a 6'11 wingspan. And his handles are pretty tight. So I just I think that's one of those lazy Bam Adebayo to a Kongwu type comps to where I just I don't like it. Um, but I understand like the thought process of somebody getting there. So, again, I'm not a huge comp guy, but anybody who makes other like their best players better, which, again, you have to have on a championship team, then we can go ahead and think about Halliburton in that light. Yeah, and I've got him as an ultimate glue guy. Uh, I did come up with uh, a comparison, and I, I like this one because of the it's mostly you know strong defender, good passer, not very good at getting to the lane, uh, which is Lonzo Ball. And Lonzo is an intriguing one because they, it's kind of like what you said. You don't necessarily like the Pelicans. I've heard they don't want to necessarily play him at point guard because he's just not that effective in the half court. Uh, they want him to be more of a two-three almost, and you could. Almost do that with Halliburton in some ways. Obviously, Lonzo has the length. That, that is a deal breaker in that regard. But uh, the defensive ability and just like in a general viewpoint of how they um, how they compare and skill set, it's kind of similar. That and DeLon Wright were the two guys I have. But it's also easier to put DeLon Wright when I've seen him at, at his lowest low this year. So that's like his <laughs> fourth. <laughs> 
right, right on. So, um, any any kind of final words on Halliburton before we uh, before we move on to the next guy? I think he's easily a lottery pick, even for the concerns that I have. I don't have him in the top five like a lot of people do because I worry about his body and ability to create for himself. That being said, in the right fits, I think he can be an an awesome, awesome addition to a team with already established scores. So that's what I would look for. Um, that's kind of, I think, my final, you know, overarching kind of thoughts on him. But I think anywhere, he's not in my group of top like seven guys that I would consider quote tier one. Uh, anytime after that, probably like pick eight to fourteen, I would have no issue or any kind of qualms with somebody picking him. Yeah, and one last thing about Halliburton. His dad is a ref, so as Mavs fans, you know, uh, you kind of need to be on the lookout. But actually, yeah, you got to get him on your side eventually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his cousin is Eddie Jones, though. I had no clue until uh, until pretty recently. So NBA, NBA uh, bloodline in his family. Yeah. Awesome. So so that'll close the book on Halliburton, uh, and then. We're going to go ahead and talk about a, uh, a foreign guard here, uh, one that I actually have not watched. So I'm, I'm really <laughs> kind of just going to let you guys go here. Uh, but that would be Leandro Bolmaro, uh, played with uh, Barcelona. He was uh, Messi's teammate, obviously. Uh, 6'7", 182. Um, in 22 games, I had him at... Uh, as a 42% shooter, 28% from three, 67% from the line, eight points, two rebounds, two and a half assists, and a steal per game. Um, but uh, you know, Derek, why don't you start us off? Um, you know, tell us a little about a little bit about Balmaro. So I love Balmaro, one of my favorite guys in the class. Likely a stash option. He's made it pretty clear that he wants to play for Barcelona again, uh, but does have an NBA out in his contract that he just renegotiated if he wanted to come over. And we can't get into it too much, um, the conversations we've had, but we'll just say the earlier is better if somebody wants him to come over. Um, and there's certain, certain thresholds in the 1 through 60 where it would pretty much lock whether he comes over or stays, um, kind of solidifies that. So where he goes in the draft is as intriguing to me as even his game because of the contract situation there. And most teams have been made aware of that. So, but with Balmaro, I mean, you're getting scoring off the dribble vision and passing is awesome. Almost a little too brave at times. Um, kind of one of those guys that sees he'll see a gap and make an incredible pass. And you're like, man, how did he fit that in there? Like what a pass. And then other times you have to say, Balmaro, dude, there was no window there at all. Like you, you saw the window in your head, but it wasn't there. <laughs> but he's so he's so aggressive. He wants to push the pace all the time. He wants to get the ball to open teammates all the time and create windows, which I think you have to have in an NBA facilitator. NBA passers cannot wait for lanes to open. Like a good quarterback, sometimes you have to throw guys open. And Balmaro has that in his DNA. Like it's wired in him to be that kind of passer. So I appreciate that. Positional size, you know, six seven as a combo guard is awesome, and he's a high high motor, high energy guy. Um, so I really like him. Obviously, the shooting is a concern at pretty much every level. There's no masking that. There's no hiding that. So I think stashing him and letting him get a ton of minutes with Barcelona would be a good thing. If somebody does bring him over, I'm a I'm a proponent of get him on the floor, whether it's in the G League or the NBA early, and just let him screw up if that's what it takes to make him better. So either way, I think there will be growing pains, but I I really like Lomaro. I'm comfortable with him as a probably top 25 guy, at least first round for sure for me. So I really like him and would suggest to anybody who hasn't seen him to check him out. Yeah, I've seen some of the, the passing highlights and I'm like, wow, this guy is, I mean, like you said, he's not afraid to do anything. He'll just go out <laughs> there and, and whip passes all over the floor and, you know, if he sends one four rows into the stands, like you're going to get that sometimes. He'll just shrug um, it off and be like, oh, no, oh, well, we'll get him next time. They, they, but but I love that kind of confidence, you know, especially in someone who's 19 years old. Um, but I, I do want to to visit the shooting here. Um, you know, like you mentioned, 
um, it's a problem and you look at the, the shooting splits and it's not good, um, is, is it something that you think is correctable? Uh, does he just lack the touch? Um, you know, is he ever going to be a good enough shooter to at least be a threat? I think he can become a league average three-point shooter. I don't know if I see him getting any higher, to be completely honest. Um, kind of a lifetime hovering around 30% uh, for as a three-point shooter, both Barcelona and uh, FCB2. You know, projecting him is going to require how much, again, you believe in his mechanics. His mechanics are fine. Sometimes the balance can be a little off, where his landing can be inconsistent, you know, one foot out in front of the other at times. But once, like, as far as his mechanics themselves, I don't think a team will try to adjust them too much. So one thing I really looked into as far as his minutes at each level, his shot selection on the A squad was not very good. And I believe a lot of that was because, so when you first get called up to the to the parent team, you know, you, you want to impress. And he wasn't getting a ton of minutes. So you're constantly battling in your mind, as any of us would be. Do you go the approach of, all right, I have 11 minutes to ball out and prove my worth here. So I'm shooting every halfway decent look I get. On the other hand, there were some attempts where he appeared to have the, okay, I only have 11 minutes. I'm going to screw up as few times as I can in these 11 minutes. So he looked hesitant on some shots. So I think putting him in a role, whether that's here in the States or with Barcelona again, to where he's just free to be himself and play like himself, take the shots and looks that he wants. I think that's going to be huge for him. Um, it's it's going to be a confidence factor because he is streaky. That That's what's important to me is putting him in a role where he doesn't have to overthink everything because he's he clearly processes information very, very quickly. So the less he has to think about mistakes and shot selection and I only have X minutes to either perform well or don't mess up, I think that's going to be big for his shooting. I think it's mental more than it is anything else. Yeah, and that the shot is, I mean, that's always going to be what, like, would you consider it a fatal flaw? Like, if it, if it just doesn't work, like you say, he doesn't get to league average. Do you think he's still playable without that? I think he's still playable. You wouldn't ever see him become a starter. But I, I, I think he could still be a rotation guy who can facilitate and create for others on a second unit. But if the three-point shot doesn't get established, I do worry about him ever seeing substantial minutes. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Because, I mean, we said that, I mean, we said the same thing, I think, about Isaac Okoro, uh, you know, where he has the same thing. If the jump shot doesn't come along, he can still do other things. It just kind of limits the effectiveness of all of that. And obviously not the same tier of prospect, I would say, but... You know, similar aspect, though, where how much, you know, does the shooting affect him? And uh, and obviously that is probably, would you say that's his biggest flaw? Like, his, would you say that's his only glaring flaw, I should say? Yes, it's it's the only one. It's the only one that I look at and say, this is why somebody would not draft him. And I could understand. Yeah, so that may, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. So so having said all that, um, you know, do you feel confident in his abilities to score in other ways? Um, you know, even if the shooting doesn't fully come along or he is only slight, you know, maybe slightly below league average, um, can he score in other ways to, you know, can contribute offensively that way? I see him still being able to score other ways. He's really effective changing speeds, changing direction. Uh, he's vastly improved his ball handling in the last couple of years. And again, with his positional size, he can get to the rim. Doesn't have great vertical pop at the rim. There is some athleticism, con- like athletic concerns once he gets in the paint. And the finishing is an interesting point. So I have I pulled up my big report on him I wrote for Babcock Hoops, shameless plug. And I'm just going to read part of the paragraph here where I talk about his finishing. So here you go. He's advanced in creating angles and leverage, but I have concerns with him finishing at the rim. If you look at his 2019 and 20 numbers, playing with the FC Barcelona squad, he only finished 27.8% of his around-the-basket non-post-up attempts. At first glance, that number is obviously worrisome, so I checked the Barcelona B stats. At that level, against competition his age, he converted 72.2% of the exact same attempts. 
wow. giving me the confidence that he sh- that as it shows he performs well against his age. So I looked at those and I called Matt Babcock immediately. I was like, dude, seventy two percent to twenty seven. I said, what is going on here? So the touch is there. He'll need to improve his floaters, his runners. Um, but when you, he's going against guys his own age, he dominates and he scores just fine. I think the length of the Barcelona defenders and the team that the teams that he was playing against on the on the A squad honestly just freaked him out, if you will, if you want to just put it put it that way. I think he has he's going to have to adjust to scoring against length, playing into again. Just let him make mistakes. Let him drive the lane. Give him big minutes. If he gets swatted at the rim, he gets swatted at the rim. He's going to have to figure it out. He's crafty enough and can contort his body. Good body control. Strength is there. Like I think he'll be fine being able to figure that out. But if you look at just the FC Barcelona numbers, yeah, it, it doesn't look promising. But you have to take him on both teams in its full context to understand what he can really do. And I think he's still going to be able to score. Yeah, and that's a really strong point you said, because, I mean, a lot of the videos, I mean, I've seen the stuff y'all put out at Babcock. I mean, that's where I've gotten a lot of my Bomaro information, admittedly. Uh, but, I mean, a lot of it, yeah, the way he slices and dices to the rim, I would say, is honestly really impressive. And almost kind of like we were saying with Halliburton, like he can put a defender on his back and then score that way, too. Like in the B League is what I've seen it from. Yeah. Uh, but, no, like that is really impressive, too. And that's huge with context and kind of emphasizes that maybe he's not quite ready for the NBA yet. I mean, if he can, you know, handle the big league like that, it might not, you know, not, might not come over right away. But that seems like something that with time he'll adjust to pretty easily. Right. I mean, he's still 19. So I think if, you know, he wraps up next season at 20 years old and he's getting 30, 35 minutes a game on just the Barcelona A team and we see those numbers improve, like that would – that would shoot my confidence really high compared to where it is now. And I already like him in the projection that he has. So that's going to, that's going to kind of be the swing factor on if a team takes a shot on him. Um, and I'll get into the best fits and stuff later, but that's going to be important. So, uh, you know, kind of moving away from scoring and, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the flash as a passer and um, you know, you mentioned the court vision earlier, but um you know, let's maybe dive a little deeper onto the passing and, you know, is this someone that you could see being, you know, someone you want to run your offense through at some point or, you know, you don't quite feel that confident in him, you know, at this juncture? I'm confident in him with that as his ceiling. I don't know if I'd run the offense completely through him right now, but I can see him becoming that guy at 22, 23, 24 years old. Um, he's high risk, high reward. And that shows me that the vision is there. The quick decision making is there. He can see the windows. I mean, transition, half court, he can make them all. Again, very turnover prone as well because he tries to fit things into those windows. So the decision making, while it is fast, it'll have to be cleaned up. But he's young enough now to where I'm not going to hold that against him in my projection. Now, if he goes back to Barcelona next year and at the end of the year, he's still turning the ball over a bunch. You know, then you start to worry. But I want to see him in, in a, like a 30-minute-a-game role in the big leagues but before I kind of make a judgment call on that. But in a couple of years, I would have no problem running an offense through him as long as you surround him or at least have shooters on the floor with him. Because I don't know if I really want him as a pull-up shooter from the point guard position right now. But his ability to get to the lane, honestly, it's literally the direct opposite of Halliburton. Like he's going to be able to get to the lane so much and so effectively that I think if you have shooters on the outside, that he could be just awesome. You could see a ton of assists. So, yeah, that that's I think you could run offense through him in the future, but not anytime soon. Yeah, and and I know a lot of his uh, a lot of his damage I would say as a passer and running the offense comes in transition. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, it, in transition, that's when he gets the most aggressive, for sure. Yeah, and because to me, it's like I haven't seen those kind of uh, passing highlights since maybe prime Rajon Rondo, like on a consistent basis, and he's 19. Like, that's that's pretty scary. Like, you can dismiss the, the you know, the bad passes. When you see things like that, uh, and maybe that's not the most objective way to look at it, but, I mean, guys should not be making those passes at 19. Like, that's that's just what it is. There's maybe Lamella Ball's the only other person probably in the class that does that. 
there's there's glimpses there's glimpses from both him and Lamelo of Rondo, Jason Williams, teammate didn't know the ball was coming type passes, <laughs> and it was delivered to them perfectly. So that's yeah, it's it's been a while since we've seen a guy like that. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, anything? I, it may have just gone over my head while we were talking about it, but um, you know, how, how do you think he, he'd fare in in a pick and roll system? I mean, obviously the pick and rolls a, a a huge thing in the NBA these days. Is that something he's you know still gaining experience doing, or or he already feels pretty comfortable in that setting? He's getting more comfortable early on pick and roll responsibilities, uh, good and decent amount of turnovers and not much scoring out of it, although they were flashes. So it was he, he's an easy guy too to bite a highlight reel, like to, to take the bait on a highlight reel when you don't see all the mistakes as well. So there is some there. I do have to give a fair warning on Balmaro in, in that kind of uh, in that effect, I guess. Um, but he did improve and has been improving over time as a pick and roll ball handler. So again, I trust the development that he'll have there, but in the past it has definitely not always been clean or a, or a pro for him. Yeah. And one thing I've seen from the pick and roll, I mean, I've only seen a handful of games uh, from FC Barcelona too, uh, which a lot of those have been condensed games, but one of my favorite plays, I think he had someone in the pick and roll and then he trapped the, uh, he trapped the big man on the switch and then also still had the uh, guard on him on his side. And he just escapes it somehow escapes and finds the wide open shooter on the, I want to say it was like on the wing. And it's just, it's incredible. Like he, he can either see the roller. He can see every, he can see everything. Yep. He's got eyes in the back of his head. Yeah, and a 19-year-old to be doing some of this, it's really impressive. Obviously, sometimes as fast as you go awry, but, like, you can live with that. That is such a fixable mistake. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like a, a fun offensive player, if nothing else, with, you know, tons of upside, um, but, you know, may need to rein things in as he as he matures. Um, you know, so, so let's talk about him on the other side of the ball for a little bit. Um, you know, obviously good size, um, but, you know, th- does he move well? Is he someone who who can, you know, maybe guard one through three or, you know, what what's kind of his, you know, defensive outlook? Probably the most underrated point of attack defender in the class. Uh, six, seven, not great length, actually. Let me check his measurements here. Yeah, yeah wingspan, wingspan. wingspan last one's six eight. So, so he's a, he's a plus one wingspan guy. So that there that definitely is something to take into account. Um, but yeah, underrated point of attack defender. Great lateral quickness, mobility, good feet, um, cuts off driving lanes, avoids screens really well too. Both either avoiding by going around them or fighting through because he's just he's just a hard nosed defender. Like he's willing to get up in your grill. He's always trying to create problems for ball handlers and it's it's an underrated point of a, a part of his game and i think it's gonna be really important for him at the next level too because he's good at it yeah he picks up players 94 feet i mean here's the distance of the court like i remember when uh, this is not a comparison obviously but whenever uh deandre liggins was relevant halfway like i think he was with miami he was picking or maybe it wasn't miami but it was somebody he was picking up people Literally from the inbounds, he would stay with them toe to toe, every single step for step, everything. And it's like that that presence on defense is so underrated. Having someone like that just brings up the team, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that you want pressing the guy the whole way down the floor, like you said. Um, another part, again, I'll just read a little snippet here about his defense. I, I said he's extremely competitive, and he plays, plays with active hands, so good things tend to happen. In his nine Barcelona B games, he had 16 steals. And with the A team, he had 12 steals in 13 games. But the important thing to note is then those 12, of, 12 steals in 13 games with Barcelona A, he only played 11 minutes of contest. So that's where, that's where I believe that he's able, he's going to be able to cause problems for people kind of no matter what level he's playing at. Yeah, that's production. And I mean, his feet on defenses are really good too. Like it's quick, I think. And I mean, he kills dribble handoffs. Like that's the thing I've seen the most is like 
you know, a lot of players will let the handoff just happen. He, it, like you said, the competitiveness, he just doesn't want anything to actually work for offenses. And, and that goes a long way. That's the high motor. Yeah. On basketballreference.com, they listed only six games of his Euro League minutes with FC Barcelona and averaged 3.9 steals per 36. That's insane. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, you know, someone who's going to cause problems as an on-ball defender, um, you know, and again, someone who, who has great court vision offensively, does he see the floor the same way as, as like a team defender? Um, or is that something he's he's going to need to, you know, improve as as most young players do? He's a solid team defender, and I think that's what he'll be at the next level as well. But there are some plays where he can fall asleep. He chases really well, um, but his on-ball defense is certainly better and more of an asset to him than the team defense right now. But again, he plays with a headiness and quick decision-making that I think he'll be fine as a team defender. I don't think he's going to be a liability. You're not going to have to hide him. But I would rather my game plan be put him directly on the ball as much as possible. You agree with that, Richard? Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of like you said, I mean, it's, it goes back to the on-ball defense is just so strong with the competitiveness. I think that, that honestly is the overarching statement about it is he wants to be able to guard and hound whoever has the ball and make sure that they just don't score. Like, sometimes it's just that simple, and I think that is that it applies for him. So, any – well, so, so before that, so – uh, Derek, you mentioned he's in your top 25 right now. Richard, where do you have him ranked? So I have him, uh, Derek, please don't kill me. I have him in the mid thirties. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Hey, there's who's, who's to say that he won't go there. Cause again, even from a contract perspective, there, there are teams that yeah. likely pass on him. I mean, if you need your draft pick, if teams need their draft pick to be a part of their organization next year, you probably stay away from Balmaro and that doesn't have anything to do with, his game or his skill set, like it just is what it is. It's context that has to be taken into account. So while I have him that high and we've had conversations with teams that like him that high, again, the draft is not, the draft is not a, Hey, here's our big board. All 60 teams are going to take best player available on their board at their pick. Like that's just not how this works. I feel like a lot of draft Twitter forgets that that's how the draft works. (laughs) It's just like, Oh, well I have him 12th. And he fell to me at 16, so this is who I take. Like it's just yep. that's not how it works. So there could there's a world where Bom Bomaro might go undrafted. Um, again, I don't see it happening, but yeah. you get to certain picks. Like if I'm Philly at 34 and 36, part of me says, hey, I only got to have one of these guys on my team next year. Let's take a stash. Let's do it. Okay. Well, the new front office and decision makers might be like, no, I understand. I really like him, but I can't afford to do that right now. And therefore he falls and that's not a knock on Balmaro at all. So you have him in the mid thirties. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't shake my head or think that's a negative whatsoever. Oh, because it's, no, it's the, a possibility. I, it, the reason I say it is because remember we did the Twitter mock and you stunned everybody. You took him at 14 to Portland. And that's why ever since you're the <laughs> Balmaro guy since then. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Oh man, I don't want to, I mean, you took him in the lottery. I don't want to say that I'm going to take him, you know, second round. Although I do think uh, kind of to get to this point, I do think the earliest he could go. I mean, it wouldn't be crazy if he goes 14 to Boston, a team yes. that has picks that they need to stash or even Brooklyn, who clearly wants to save as much money as possible. Those are two teams and they're both in the top 20. Like I could see that. I actually think he goes higher than my big board rating. Yeah, uh, Four, 14, to, 14 to Boston, 19 to Brooklyn. Those are the two absolutely yeah. that I'll be holding my breath as a huh, let's let's see if they do it. And I think I think Pokusevsky fits both of those. Yep. Poku and Balmaro at 14 and 19, those are gonna be all right. This is like this is a window. This is our opportunity right here. So absolutely. Yeah, if they play chicken a little bit, I'd like to see if like if Boston plays chicken with Brooklyn, like if they don't take them, you know, they'll take Balmaro at twenty six or I think it's twenty six they have. Um, but you know that second first round pick, or even the the third, so that'd be that's gonna be really interesting. So I mean, you know, you guys just threw off threw out a few different teams there, but you know we are Mavs draft. Uh, this is a player <laughs> who could be available for them at eighteen or possibly even thirty one. You know, from the sound of things, is he a guy that that you think fits what Dallas is trying to do, or not so much? 
I want to say yes so badly. I want I want to say that Luca and Balmaro play well together, but I don't see it. I don't see it making a lot of sense for the mad or for the Mavs at I almost said magic because of your shirt. <laughs> I don't see it making sense for the Mavs at 18. 31, sure. 18, it doesn't make sense to me. Um at 18, I would look for a guy who can play off ball as a shooter who can take some kind of responsibility. I think that Maxi will be there at 18. I think, again, I'm not this high on Tyrell Terry, but a Tyrell Terry type makes sense to me. A Malachi Flynn makes sense to me. Again, those are all, in my opinion, all reaches. But Luca, <laughs> a huge point guard, if you will, needs somebody to play off ball because Balmaro is not that type of shooter yet. I just don't see the fit. Um, and I don't know. The Mavs are – the West is going to be hard, man. I think the Mavs need to draft somebody who can come in and contribute a little bit. And if Balmaro wants to stay overseas and stash, that's where it doesn't make sense to me either. So as right. much as I want to say yes, because that would just be – I mean, Porzingis, Doncic, Balmaro together, like, oh, my goodness. Sign me up for every single one of those games. That's an instant league pass team. I mean, they're already a league pass team, but instant – I just it, it doesn't it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I I'd ask because we've we've had a few questions uh, when we've done mailbag segments where where people were asking about Bulmaro and his fit in Dallas. So you know this this was the time to ask. So <laughs> and and I mean how how would we uh, how would we as fans you know be able to cope with uh, FC Barcelona and Real Madrid bloodline kind of <laughs> clashing? Like, that was right. <laughs> dangerous for the locker room you know <laughs> um so uh again i know i know you're not a big comparisons guy but did any did any uh you know former players jump out to you as oh yeah i could see him the this skill set so kevin o'connor on his ringer big board uh evan turner shades of evan turner i i actually don't hate that um that definitely makes sense to me a little bit. And then the easy one, if you want to call it the easy, lazy one, Ginobili, just because there's, it just, oh, no. I mean, Argentina, 6-6. Six, six, I mean, you can call it that if you want to. The thing about Ginobili is he figured out his three-point shot. <laughs> and it's if, all. <laughs> yeah, if, <laughs> he's also all of famer. If, if Balmero figures out the three-point shot, I can see a, smaller, reduced, Ginobili-esque, don't want to give it the comp, but it kind of makes sense role. Um, but Evan Turner, one I don't hate. Just anybody who I think can create and facilitate to shooters, to other scorers on your team. Uh, if he doesn't figure out the shooting, at a, you're getting the second unit guy probably at the best. If he does figure out the shot, I think you've got a certified starter who on both ends of the floor bring value simply because of his point of attack defense. So you're never going to want him off the floor, providing he can shoot. So anybody, I mean, if you want to make your own comps, if you find somebody in that mold, then I'll, I'll be fine with it. Here I was thinking I was original with Evan Turner, and then that was the first thing you said. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, like you said, though, he's high risk, high reward. Like, if you're getting him to hit, he's going to be at at the least. He's a starter team on a high caliber playoff team. And, you know, partially why we discussed him in Dallas uh, I mean, God, if he hits, if that shot comes along, I mean, imagine having two of the best passers in the game. I mean, I think I genuinely think that even if the shot doesn't come along, he is going to be one of the best passers uh, the day he steps on the NBA court. Um, it's the upside is really hard to miss. And that's why I do think that there is a chance that he goes to Boston at 14. I mean, you can make the case even New Orleans at 13 for me. There are some scenarios where I could see something like that, where he could go that high or really as low as the second round. I mean, I don't know if – I think that's almost a reach to let him go in the second round, especially given the financial circumstances of the league. But, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to swing on – miss on the upside, you know, like even if you mm-hmm. swing and miss. I just, I just Googled Balmero comparisons and three sites in a row all said Ginobili. <laughs> um, and then I just saw one that said uh, Frank Nicolina. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, so I don't know what to make of any of those. I don't have a comparison for him. Dude, those are, those are not good. Uh, that I, I definitely you just made. 
what you said, like, it's so funny seeing how uh, how people compare internationally versus NCAA prospects. Like, you have the NCAA prospects that are like, you know, personally, like, I mean, I'll get every single stat right, like all that. I'll look to make sure it's one-to-one to every degree. And then someone goes international, like, yeah, Ginobili, coach, whatever. And it's like, what? Like, Luka Doncic, even, I mean, people say that for Denny, even just because they have the vision. Like, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I just saw one that said Rubio. How do, well, we feel so, about, how do we feel about the Rubio comp there? It's well, it's, better. It's, it's, better than it's Frank. funny you bring that up because obviously, again, having not watched him, but just hearing the way you're describing him, I was like, he almost just sounds like a, a taller Rubio of, you know, pest defensively, the shots a problem, flashy passes played in Spain. I mean, again, low hanging fruit, but um, but that's the name that popped into my head as you're kind of talking about him. So I thought that one was interesting. Also, uh, you know, uh, confession time when y'all brought up Evan Turner. I thought he was going to be a superstar. I thought he was going to be so on. good. A lot of people did. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, I was saying that he should have gone ahead of John Wall that year. Oh my God. I, I thought he was going to be, mm. uh, like, the guy. Yeah, I, I got that one wrong. That was a big <laughs> miss. Hey, he's one of those – Turner's one of those guys, so – Again, obviously, I'm from Tennessee my whole life, but I was born in Columbus, Ohio. So all my family, extended family, they're all in Ohio and Indiana, and we're big Ohio State fans across the board. So, which, shout out to all my friends making me hate my life being an Ohio State fan growing up in SEC country. That was miserable. (laughs) Um, But he hit that shot. I want to say it was like the Big Ten tournament. He hit a shot at the buzzer. Yeah. I remember I I was in a health science class in high school when he hit that because we were literally taking a test and I was streaming the Ohio state big 10 tournament game like <laughs> and he hit that shot. And I think it's one of those, where, like you already knew he was going to be a lottery pick in that draft. And then that one moment, a lot of guys have one moment that front office executives just can't let go of and it bumps him. And I think that shot did it for him yep. because he got labeled clutch gene. He got labeled all kind of things. And again, like I understand why people saw that at the time. And I understand why people at the time thought he was going to be a star. Uh, so Jared, you don't have to feel too bad about it. <laughs> over over John Wall, I don't. Maybe maybe just this podcast is the only time you ever want to admit that publicly, and then we'll just yeah. delete it quickly I, so I no was, one can ever hear you say it. I, I was at that time uh, still on the whole train of like point guards need to be like pass first and need to be able to shoot a little bit, and that like I was I was behind the ball on that one. So. <laughs> I mean, we all had, we all, I mean, we all remember that Evan Turner shot, like I had the identical story, but it's kind of interesting because this year there's no one moment, I don't think as a prospect. I mean, obviously with Halliburton, we brought up, you know, the 2010 and 10 game at TCU, that was big, but there's no all eyes on him kind of moment since there was no really major March tournaments of any, or conference tournaments, and there's obviously no March Madness. And I know we're talking about an international prospect, but there was nothing, and a lot of times the international prospects, I think, get hurt by those moments. Uh, so there really wasn't any of that. So I'm really interested to see where Bomaro ends up as, you know, with all of that considered. So uh, any any final words on uh, Bomaro before we kind of wrap things up today? I don't think so. We've, we've done a good job covering a lot. I just a lot is going to depend on team fit, not necessarily roster, but as far as organizational timeline. Can you stash a guy? Can you afford to stash a guy? And again, you look at teams who don't need somebody to come in and contribute right away, and those are teams I can see taking a shot on him, or with multiple picks. So Boston makes sense. Brooklyn makes sense. Um, trying to think who else. I mean, Philly has a bunch of picks. New Orleans has a bunch of picks. I just don't – a lot of those are seconds, so I don't know. Maybe – I mean, we've, we've seen instances where somebody falls past pick 30, and the agent immediately don't draft me. Hey, don't 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 take me in the second. Who knows? Balmero might end up be that kind of guy. You know, say Boston takes somebody at 30. He's on the board. It might be, hey, do not do not pick me. We're not coming over. Like we'll sign a you know, we'll sign a deal. And so that, that that's interesting to me. But I think Boston and Brooklyn are the ones where I think could be fascinating, at least at that 14 and 19 spot. See what happens. Richard, any last words? Yeah, I mean. I, I think he can go anywhere. Again, it's, I mean, the high risk, high reward, and the overall just mysterious way of this draft. Uh, 
I mean, it wouldn't surprise me again. I, I really don't think it would be a surprise if he went as high as New Orleans, uh, maybe even Sacramento. I mean, with the unknown circumstances that they have with no, I don't think they have a new GM, right? Like they've fired Vladi, but, or Vladi's gone, excuse me, but who knows? So it's, it could go all over the place. It's, it's going to be a weird uh, draft in general. And I think Bobo could either benefit or really suffer from it. All right. So I think that's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, again, huge thank you to Derek for jumping on today. You can find him at D Murray MBA on Twitter. You can find his work uh, over at Babcock's Hoops. Is it just BabcocksHoops.com? Is that the best mm-hmm. way to find that? Uh, obviously, Richard is at Mavs Draft. You can find a lot of his work over at MavsDraft.com. You can find me at Jared underscore Cats30. Uh, if you're not following Derek at this point, you're doing it wrong. Uh, definitely get over there and uh, and give him a follow. So, Derek, thanks again so much for joining us. I learned a lot today, so um, appreciate you coming on. No problem. Thank you guys for having me on. And again, honored to be a honored to be a first guest. So, if y'all want to hop on and do another one post draft, right before the draft, anytime, man. Always enjoy reading and watching y'all's uh, y'all's work. And yeah, um, you know, grateful you guys have had me on for thinking of me. So, thank you. Thank you.